Welcome to NJASA's Frontline Leadership for Extraordinary Times podcast series. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Daniel Gallagher, Superintendent and Chief Education Officer of the Boundbrook School District. Dan, thanks for joining us in our eighth broadcast. Let me ask you, how are you and your family doing? We're doing well, Rich. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, my family's doing, doing pretty good. My daughter's home from college, and obviously my high school son is home doing uh, his work uh, at the kitchen table as we speak. Uh, and I bet everybody can't wait to get out of the house and away from one another for a little bit of time. I can, I'm sure like everybody's home. Absolutely. So before we discuss uh, the innovative strategies that you're employing to address the coronavirus health issues, give us, our audience, a, a quick overview of your school district population, its demographics, challenges that might be unique to your town in Boundbrook. Sure. I mean, uh, our district has is, is been growing. Um, over the last five years or so, we've grown about 500 kids. We're now at 1,950 students in the district. Um, we were about 1,500 you know, five years ago, so we are growing pretty quickly. Um, we have 75% minority students in our district, and, so, and out, of, out of that, 70% of them are, or our overall district is 70% low income. So we, we have some, some very unique challenges. Um, obviously, with the, the minority population that we have, you know, their, their first time to the country, first time, um, you know, getting into high school and graduating high school, so we do have some unique challenges here. Well, and you know, as, as you've been growing and your population has become even more diverse, you've had a lot of success there. So talk to us a little bit about the formula for turning a four-year consecutive failing system, according to state standards, turning that around to having six straight years as a high achieving school. Well, it, it takes a lot of work, but, but I, I would say we, we started by crunching the data first and, and taking a hard look at, at where our needs were. Um, and then we, we started doing some, some really, uh, I don't want to say innovative, but um, research-based practices. Uh, you know, we, we reduced class sizes, our class sizes at the, at the lower levels, um, pre-K is 15, uh, kindergarten is 19, first, second grade is hover right around 20 to 22. You know, um, we, drive in, we drive in as many teachers into the classroom as we can. Most of our classrooms usually have two teachers in a classroom. Um, so we can get that one-on-one -on -one instruction. In addition to that, um, the board a few years ago um, gave me the okay to start an extended day program. Um, so we extended school for roughly a thousand students in the district by a full hour for math and language arts. Um, so we did that. And then we also had our extended year program where um, we did uh, intensive reading uh, camps for kindergarten and first grade. And then, um, you know, obviously we did enrichment stuff for the rest of the district for the month of July. Yeah, it's great to see that commitment from the school board and the community to provide those resources that you need to do things like extend the day and to provide those other programs. And I'm sure your staff is much committed and very proud of the accomplishments that everyone has made over that time. Let's talk a little bit about the crisis that we're facing today, Dan. Uh, unfortunately, this is not the first major health crisis you've confronted. Uh, in 2014, Boundbrook had the first confirmed case of enterovirus. What lessons did you learn from that experience, and have you been able to apply anything from that health crisis to what we're facing today with the coronavirus? Um, I, I think if you go back to, to when we had the uh, enterovirus 
Um, we, we did develop a, a, a pandemic plan back then. Um, if you recall, there was the, the bird flu pandemic and, and things like that, they, they were calling it. So when this came around, basically what I did is I, I, first thing I did was I dusted off the old pandemic plan, took a look at that, saw what was working for us back then and, and made some adjustments. Um, the biggest adjustment for us um, moving into this one um, was our preparedness on the technology side. Um, our district is um, completely one-to-one -one pre-K through grade 12. So we have a device that we were able to send home with every single kid right away. Um, our biggest challenge really was, um, because we are a low-income district, not everybody has Wi-Fi. So that, that became our immediate challenge and how to resolve those things. Um, one of the first things we did was um, I reached out to our executive county superintendent and, and, and basically begged him to get to the governor's office to ask them to open up the, uh, the hotspots in town through Cablevision, Verizon, um, and Comcast. Um, our, our town is pretty well covered with these hotspots, so if they opened them up, we were going to have the ability to cover most of our kids. And, and thankfully, the governor's office did, did get that accomplished for us, and, and um, I'm very happy with that. Um, we had roughly about 20 families that didn't have access to those hotspots, so we, we went out and purchased additional hotspots and, and put those out. Our teachers were absolutely fantastic. Um, I can't rave enough about our teachers, the commitment they put into this, being able to pivot on a dime from going to, from in-classroom to, to online. They were absolutely fantastic. Um, and again, because of our ability, where we were in terms of professional development and, and what we were doing in school, we really haven't stopped teaching our exact curriculum either. Um, we were using Google Classroom beforehand. We were using Class Dojo beforehand. Um, so we were able just to pivot on a dime and, and start pushing all of our, our normal curriculum out that way. And we've been doing a pulse survey every week with our, with our families and the responses we're getting back from our community and our parents and our kids is, um, is 80 plus percent, uh, very happy with, with how we, how we pivoted to this and the delivery of our instruction at this point. That's a fantastic story. You know, as I talk to our colleagues around the state, not, but not everyone uh, had that great advantage that you were able to get a jump on with the one-to-one -one, uh, program, as well as uh, having a community where you have access to the hotspots for the most part. It's great that the governor's office helped out with that. You know, as we continue to look forward, um, you know, we're at that point in the year where um, we're concerned about not only the end of the year that now that we know that the school buildings won't be open, but we're talking about summer programs, et cetera. So um, as we look at not reopening for the remainder of the year, summer programs are in question. There are even those of us who are concerned that we might not be able to safely reopen in September. And I know you're taking some extraordinary proactive steps to address that challenge. Tell us a little bit about your testing program and your thoughts, your thoughts rather, regarding safely opening schools when the time comes. Well, again, I, I mean, if you, if you take it from a data data approach, um, everything you're hearing from the, the healthcare professionals is um, the need for testing and the need for not just whether or not you had or have uh, coronavirus, but do you have the antibodies for coronavirus? Um, I, was, I was very fortunate to find a company um, that has been doing the testing for private, private companies, you know, firms from New York City and things like that. Um, and I, I spoke to them about, well, what about a school district? What, what about doing this um, for a small school district? And, and we talked it through. 
and, and by the time 15 minutes into the conversation, um, I was I was like, all right, we're going to do this. Um, the, the cost to the district is, is minimal. Um, but the benefits are, are enormous. I mean, take, you're taking out the fear of uh, your staff. When they're coming back, they, their, initial, their initial concern is going to be for their own health. You know, am I going to get corona? Um, did I already have corona? Um, you know, what about, what about the, the, the students and, and, and others that are going to be in the building, your custodians, your secretaries, and, and so on? So one of the first things that, that we wanted to do is we wanted to give a peace of mind to our staff by offering this optional test. So um, we, we got in touch with um, Back to Work Solutions and um, we, we spoke to them and we had them uh, put together a proposal for us, which again, um, they, they take our insurance. Uh, so everything is running through our insurance. The only thing that, I, that the district did was pick up everybody's copay. So, None of our staff are going to pay their copay. The district's going to pay the copay if they opt in to get tested. Um, out of 200 employees, I think we had 136 sign up, so that's well above 50%. Um, and out of that, the 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 tests are, are slowly trickling in. Um, you know, I, I don't know individually um, who who is you know who's being tested or anything. I just know raw data, and the raw data right now is we had about 18% test positive for antibodies. Um, which is about 20%, and, and talking to, to those folks, um, as they've been doing this for the private sector, that's about the average that they're getting back on antibodies is about 20%. So when you look at what's going on in the state, there's less than 2% confirmed cases out of 8.2 million or 9 million people in the state of New Jersey, so it's less than 2%. Um, but the reality is, once widespread testing becomes available and, and gets done and they do the antibody testing, the, the the small sample size from back to work solutions is going to be it's probably going to be about 20% has had this so the reality is that as and the reason you want this data is as you go into the fall as the medical experts are saying there's potentially a second wave coming right so you want to be prepared and you want to get out in front of that now so you know if you know that 80% of your staff or or more um, has not had corona and there's going to be another another wave of corona. We're gonna be right back where we are come the fall. So with that, you know, we wanted to have that data so, so we can prepare for that. Um, in terms of school, you know, I've, I've heard and, and been part of discussions about every possible scenario of opening schools uh, come the fall. Um, I, I, I have to be honest with you, I don't know how we do it. Um, I'm a small district, I have 600 kids in my high school. I run three cafeteria sessions with roughly 200 kids per session. Um, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to have social distancing at that point in time, I can't feed my kids in eight hours. Um, never mind in three periods. Um, if we're going to have masks on, how, how do you, how do you feed kids if they're wearing masks? Can they take the masks off to eat? What kind of issues you're going to have there? Um, and you know, you, you, you can go down a laundry list of things. I'm sure you've heard them all rich from split session to how do you do intense cleaning after the day is over to how do you clean touch points multiple times during the course of the day? How are you going to clean every desk in between periods and so on? So there's, there's a lot of, lot of things that have to be logistically thought about and thought about in, in a realistic sense of how are you going to do it? Um, and then, then obviously you also have your, your financial concerns because you're going to run through more cleaning supplies come the fall and even now 
than you normally would. So there's another budgetary expense that you, you really didn't budget for. And, um, you know, and obviously right now with, with the state revenues, the way they are, um, the anticipation is that we're going to, we're going to see some, uh, financial, financial restrictions coming from the state and some budget cuts coming from the state in the near future. You know, you've hit on a, a number of important points there, Dan. I just want to point out that certainly the concerns and fears of staff members, parents, students with regard to the safety of the environment. Uh, you've talked about social distancing, as all our colleagues are. How do you run buses? Uh, how do you get students in? And uh, many states are talking about this. Uh, when do we bring kids in? Do they come in only certain days so that we can socially distance and then there'll be distance learning for the rest of the time? So we've got a lot to talk about in a very short period of time. I know these are all subjects of the Senate Education Recovery Task Force that I sit on, uh, and there are no easy solutions. And we're looking for guidance, not only from the health officials, but from the administration. And you talk about finances. Um, I think you're absolutely correct in your assumption that the state aid figures in particular that districts received back in February are gonna be uh, very uncertain as we go forward, given that the state has given itself a three month extension of its own budget, but not of your school district budget. And so uh, we're very concerned that there have not been the revenues to the state. And will that turn over to mean that late in June, you find out that you don't have the resources you need, as you say, at a time when the need for those resources is just expanding based on this emergency. So every, every school district now is trying to find, this is a conversation I have daily with, with our colleagues uh, to maintain some kind of normalcy. Um, do you have any plans around those events that typically happen in May and June, you know, the, the awards ceremonies, the graduations, the promotion ceremonies, proms, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard all kinds of things and we've gotten recently guidance from the governor and from the state police colonel about what can and can't be happening, but particularly that there can't be any groupings. So what's the conversation in Boundbrook around those events? There, there's some very difficult conversations going on here in Boundbrook. Um, we're a small community and, and like I said earlier on, um, we have a bulk of kids. This is the, this is, they're the first in their family to graduate high school. Um, it, it's a huge deal uh, for, for our families. And, um, you know, most of our parents never finished high school. Some of them didn't even go to high school. So um, it, it, it's really a touchy subject for us. And I think one of the things that, that I will say um, that's not helpful right now is, you know, we, we, we get uh, information from, um, you know, the, the commander of the state police um, saying, you, you know, we, ha we can't have these gatherings, we can't have graduation ceremonies and things like that. And then a day later, the, the governor is out in public saying, well, he's not ruling out in-person graduation. So th there's mixed messages going out to our, to our parents who are then coming to us and saying, well, which is it? Can we do it? Can we not do it? Can we do a modified? You know, um, one of the things that I had floated out was doing 15-minute appointments with each graduate, have them walk across the stage, get a diploma, videotape it, and then kind of put it all together in one big virtual graduation that we would give out later. Um, and, and I was basically told, no, I couldn't even do that. So, you know, I'm told I can't do that, but then the governor's on TV saying he's not ruling out in-person graduations. I'm five weeks from graduation or four weeks from graduation at this point in time. We, we need a consistent message. We need something that we can say, okay, this is the message that we have. This is the, the, the edict that has come down that we have to follow. 
and then we can plan appropriately. Right now, I'm planning for a completely virtual graduation. I'm planning on a, uh, a modified 15-minute um, appointment block of graduates coming across the state so we can videotape that, followed by some sort of um, what my parents really want is because I have a very large football field and I only have 130 graduates, they want me to mark out on the bleachers every six feet a seat so the two parents and the kid and have an actual graduation ceremony, keeping with the social distancing with the masks and everything else, which is not possible at this point in time either. But again, these are the things that, that I'm being confronted on on my local level, and I'm sure it's happening in every single community throughout the state, because graduation is a big deal. I mean, it's the last time you're in high school, it's, you know, you're, you're moving on to the real world and things like that. So again, um, my, my, biggest, my biggest challenge right now is really the information coming from those above me, um, kind of almost contradicting themselves. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, and people are saying, "Gee, if I can stand in line at uh, Shoprite six feet apart, why can't I do that on the football field or in the bleachers?" Or as you're suggesting, so there's there's a lot of difficulty there. And so far, it seems like any of those gatherings are, are prohibited. And, Correct. Uh, you, you don't need to get the message 24 hours before in order right. to get it done. We need to get it sooner than later. And so certainly, we're going to press for that. Yeah, it's been great to talk to you today, but I want to give you one last opportunity to tell us if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our members as you move on toward the end of the school year and uh, beyond. Um, if you don't mind, I have, I have just two, two more quick things, Rich. Um, sure. One is um, prior to this, we, 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 had a, uh, we had some really um, strong data points on mental health issues with our kids prior to this. And we went out and hired... Um, licensed clinical social workers. Um, I started a therapeutic classroom at, at the elementary level, and then I had a counseling center for uh, group counseling as, as well as regular counseling along the lines of like the, uh, the day tops, which is now closed, high, high focus and things like that. So I kind of brought those things into the district and started doing those. Um, and I can tell you right now that um, because of the way our software is set up, we get a lot of, uh, a lot of alerts about kids um, whether they're, they're, they're having issues and, and, and things like that. Our counseling apparatus of our district has been extremely busy during this time, um, dealing with kids and, and their mental, mental health illnesses. So one of the things I would say to everybody out there is, please, whatever you do, just make sure that your counselors, your nurses, your social workers, your CST people are really keeping an eye on, on your kids because this is a, an extremely difficult time for them. Um, not being around their friends and, and not being able to socialize and things like that. Um, that that's one thing. The other thing is, um, I hope that every member of NJASA understands how important you guys are and the resources, the information you guys give us is um, invaluable. Um, it, it has helped us throughout this whole thing. And I just think that every member really should, should thank uh, all of NJASA for all the things that you guys do and make sure that they uh, they continue to support you guys. And and if they have any assistant superintendents or things like that, we, we really should have them as members of our organization. Uh, Dan, thanks thanks for that. Uh, we're, we are trying to provide all the support we can and a very important message about the social emotional health of, of our students and their families. Uh, you know, yeah. we haven't talked very much today about things like feeding students and their families, but we know that you're engaged in that endeavor is one of the requirements. So. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk to you today, Dan. Uh, thank you for, for sharing your thoughts. I'm sure our members will find it to be valuable. Thank you. 
And to our listeners and viewers, remember, we will be distributing one podcast interview per week. So please monitor your email, visit njasa.net, and subscribe to our NJASA podcast. Until then, I'm Rich Baza. Please stay safe, healthy, as well as for you and your whole family. Thanks so much for joining us. 